here we go. Um, we're week two uh, of our healing series, our teaching series on healing. Uh, we began last week. Uh, if you weren't there uh, for whatever reason, I'd encourage you to, uh, to take some time during the week and listen to the podcast and kind of get on the page as to where we are. We're really on a journey together as a church and as a body, as a people. And uh, if you're missing weeks, some of the dots are just not going to kind of connect, and it would be really good that you stay the course with this. Um, this whole series is something that we're deeply passionate about as a, as a people. Our intention over the next number of weeks is twofold. One is that we would experience ourselves healing ourselves. There is not a single person in this room that is whole in every meaning of that word. We are a broken people. We live in a broken, fallen world. And our intention and God's desire is that we would be whole um, and like him in every way. And so that's our first intention. And our second intention is this, is that we would be better equipped as followers of Jesus, for those of us who know Jesus, that we would uh, minister this wonderful gift of healing, that we would uh, lay hands on one another and we would pray, asking God uh, to heal one another. And I kind of put this in the context last week in a very personal way. I began to share some very personal things with us. And in a way, just to kind of explain and give example and testimony to the fact that God, when we allow him and we position our lives before him, has the ability to heal us up from the inside and on the outside and make all things new. And, uh, and I know, having spoken to many of you afterwards, just how significant that was and how significant Jesus, the wounded healer, has been to you and for you. And it's the very qualification that's required as God does it in us. That it's the qualification that gives us uh, the ability, therefore, to do it through us. He's working in us to work through us. And uh, I kind of laid down the gauntlet a little bit, and I, I felt like after what I said last week was I felt the Lord say to me weeks ago, preparing this series, that I, I needed to be at least praying for one person every week for healing in some shape or form. And so here are my stories. I have two. <coughs> one was a colleague of mine, of which there are four, so you can work out maybe which one it is. And uh, just during the week, began to sort of say, this is what's been going on uh, in a physical way. And uh, just, it was, it was a meeting, it was a catch-up meeting that we were having, and that just became part and parcel of the meeting, explaining how they were. And I said, it's like, that's it, we just need to pray. Let's stop, let's stop what we're talking about, and let's just pray and just lay hands on Steve and, um, and just invite the Holy Spirit to come and and do what he can do in a physical way. And so that was that. And then on Thursday, we had our acts, our monthly acts. A number of us went down to the, the market, Carrickfergus Market. What a buzzing place that was on a Thursday morning. We stuck up our gazebo, and we made tea and coffee and uh, treats and what have you. And we stood there and we gave them out to people. And just real, real, just such a great time, actually. Really, really buzzing time connecting with many people in our community. It's really interesting to get a gauge of where people are at and where and how we're known, how Vineyard is known. So a number of people will be like, oh, that's the church that does. 
was like, flip, that's encouraging. People in our community would know of the church that does, not is, but does. I thought, oh, flip. So I was really encouraged. And then a number of folks, first time connections, they're like, oh, who are you guys? Uh, and where's your building? That's always everyone's default. It's like, where's the building? Oh, well, we have a couple of old shops in the town. <laughs> and we meet at the college. And you're really welcome. So anyway, <coughs> I got chatting to this couple who had come simply, and they were incredibly engaging. It was clear they w- didn't know Jesus, and, uh, but they were interested, and they were asking me questions, and I was asking them questions, just finding out about them. And it became really clear that this lady, uh, the wife's sister, was very poorly, and they cared for her and tended to her on a regular basis. And you could tell that it was a, it was a big part of their lives. And I just said, I, I hope you don't mind, but would you mind if, if I was able to pray for her? Oh, yeah, that would be fine. And I was like, do you mind if we pray now? So underneath our green gazebo, she was fine with that. And, uh, and I just said, would you mind if I just put my hand on your shoulder? And she was like, That's, that would be fine. And I just stood there with the two of them. We just invited the Holy Spirit to come. And I prayed for her in proxy of her sister. And I just simply said, uh, wherever she is now, Holy Spirit, we invite you to be with her right now, that she would know of your presence right now. And whatever it is, because I didn't want to go into de- detail, This is what, because I'm learning to do this in an appropriate manner that doesn't make the person feel awkward and all that sort of stuff. You kind of go led by them, but at the same time you need to sort of ask a few things. And uh, so I didn't really know what the, what the conditions were, but I just said, whatever it is, I speak wellness to you now in Jesus' name. And whatever the illness is, we command it to go now in Jesus' name. And, uh, and I made it brief. I didn't want it to be a long, drawn-out thing with the couple because I didn't quite know how they would feel. And, uh, and anyway, so prayed, amen. And then I looked at the lady, and she's in floods of tears. And you could just tell it was just a really meaningful moment. And I just, uh, for me, it just taught me again the openness of people. I think often we think, oh no, people don't want to know. They've had enough of the gospel rammed down their throats or whatever it might be. And oh no, we, we, and we're shy. We're shy and we're fearful of people's reactions. And to me, uh, it just felt like, goodness, the responsiveness of this couple was, was wonderful. It was wonderful and went away feeling loved, feeling cared for. So that's my stories for this week. Uh, we'll see what comes up this week. Uh, and I'd love to hear what yours are as well as you begin uh, or continue to step out. That's not even the introduction. <laughs> this is the introduction. Many people uh, in our Western world we, that we struggle with the concept of spirituality and the supernatural dimensions in terms of its reality, although they're open, uh, that would be a contradiction to what I've just said, they're very open to the things of Jesus. Um, For years, our culture has been marked by rationalism, scientific discovery, technological advancement, and a proven evidence kind of reality. But it hasn't answered the deepest questions that people are longing for the answers. And it hasn't met their deepest need spiritually uh, in terms of where they're at as people. Uh, The main text I want to look at this morning is uh, from John 20, 
We're going to read it through together and we're going to refer to it as we go on this morning. So we're, we're 20, uh, verse 24, and it says this. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have been blessed or you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas often gets a hard time, right? And somewhere along the lines in Christendom, we have nicknamed or, or renamed him Doubting Thomas. And uh, some brief observations before we look at it in a bit more detail are just the word see and seen. We have seen the Lord, said the disciples. For whatever reason, the disciples were together, but Thomas wasn't there. He just wasn't there. Uh, but the disciples said, we have seen with their own eyes the Lord. Thomas says this, I'll not believe unless I see. Jesus shows up a week later, even though the door's locked, and stands amongst them. And then says, peace be with you. I think if I was kind of in the room and someone just appeared out of nowhere, I'd be a little startled. Maybe that's why Jesus said, peace be with you. Thomas says, my Lord and my God, because you have seen me, you believe, said Jesus. Um, four years ago, um, in around about this time, um, I went for my first eye test since, uh, since I was a child. Uh, simply because I was having headaches and whatever, and I was thinking, I wonder if it's my eyes or whatever. So I went to Tesco's, uh, to the opticians there, got a, a test and all the rest, and thankfully, I was okay. Fast forward four years' time, I'm noticing in dim lighting uh, the ability to read words a little bit more challenging, shall we say. I'm not admitting that I need to go for another eye test yet, and I certainly don't need glasses. <laughs> I hear the words of my own father, actually, coming out right now. It's this belligerent kind of denial that it's coming. I'm looking at all of you wearing glasses, and you're all smiling, going, <laughs> it's coming. You can't live in denial all your life. So last Sunday, um, thinking and feeling like this, um, uh, part of our church, Gareth, I don't actually think he's here this morning, Gareth Hamilton, who wears glasses. Now, he's got really nice Oakley kind of frames. And I'm thinking, if I get myself another pair of Oakleys, because I have a bit of a love for the sunglasses, that might be okay. So I said to Gareth, would you mind if I just tried on your glasses there? And he's like, no problems. He takes them off. I put them on. I was like, oh, my goodness. How on earth do you see? It was just this blurred thing. I couldn't see a thing made me think, goodness, 
we all see the world through different lenses. And each of you, as I'm looking at those of you wearing the glasses, those are specific for you. And those of us yet without them or not needing them right now, we're able to see still with what the Lord gave us for now. And unless we are seeing life visually with the right lenses, we will not see things clearly. I want to talk about a word called worldview. We all see the world through different lenses. There is ultimately one reality, capital R, and that's God's reality. And then we all see the world, we all see things differently through our, what we think is reality, little r. The passage that we've read there about Thomas is when two realities collide. There's God's reality that Jesus died and rose again from the dead and came back to life. And then you have Thomas's reality, small r, that says, I am not going to believe unless I see. And so, Thomas's, in Thomas's worldview, he did not have the capacity to believe what the other disciples were saying was true. His Jewish upbringing, his outlook on life, the, the things that had shaped and formed his uh, mind and his opinions and the way that he saw the world was not the same reality as God's reality. And right there and then, in that moment when Jesus shows up, he is confronted. His reality, his small r reality, is confronted by God's capital R reality of the way things should be. The kingdom of God that is in heaven is here on earth. And God's kingdom reality is different, very different to the reality that most of us live in. And very different to the, the world that we experience uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. God loves to challenge our small reality. He does not want to be left in a tomb or put in a box. His kingdom reality challenges and abrupts and confronts our realities. Like Paul once said, we see in part and we know in part. And my job this morning, what I want to do with the minutes that we have remaining is this. It's just to encourage us and challenge our reality and our way of seeing the world and encourage us to begin to see with the lenses, to put the glasses of God's capital R reality onto our eyes that we might see uh, more like him and less like us. A moment on what worldview is. A worldview is a vision of life and a vision for life. And it's based upon what we think we know and it's based upon presuppositions, and it's what gives us our values and our beliefs. And it begins, actually, from a really early age. It is shaped by a number of things. Our parents, probably the most significant factor, educators, and other significant people in our lives. It comes through our faith and relationship with God, our ethnicity, our nationality, our socioeconomic background, and other life experiences. These are all the factors that shape the way that we see the world. And the world, it, or whatever is real in front of us, is one thing. But the way that we see it is different. Take, for example, our wee nation. 
a child growing up one side of the fence is going to see the world, to see this nation very differently to another child who literally lives on the other side of the fence, right? You understand that, yes? Try being a foreigner moving here. <laughs> Still trying to figure it out. It's healthy that we examine our worldview, the way that we see things, but rarely do we ever stop and think about it. We don't really stop and go, oh, is that right or is that right? We often check our worldview when it's confronted by something different, when it's challenged. And like uh, Thomas, Thomas's reality of what he thought was only changed when he was confronted by something or challenged uh, by something else. I'm sure all of us in the room here could think of, you could think of your own example where you thought something about something only to be proved or shown differently later and you realize, my goodness, I was wrong. Whether we choose to accept that or admit that is a different thing. But we have these presuppositions, I can't say the word, about certain things and then only to be there, oh, actually, no. I see that differently now. And one of the biggest factors that I think changes our minds and changes our thinking on this is when the Lord, when God actually shows us and changes us from the inside and we begin to see more like him. Jesus shows up in the room and he says kindly to Thomas, don't doubt, it's me. Put your hands on my sides, my, ha my, my hands uh, on my hands. See the wounds, it's really me. And Thomas's reality has been confronted by Jesus right there and then. His worldview changes and he declares, my Lord and my God an act of worship and confession. I've shared similar to what I'm about to say before um, about my own journey with regards to praying for healing. Uh, over the years being a Christian, I've prayed for hundreds and hundreds of people, meaning I've had the, the privilege and the honor it has been to stand with people, sit with people, and, uh, and just lay hands and just invite God, the Holy Spirit, to bring healing to people. And it's been an area that I've seen God just do dramatic and wonderful things over the years, and sometimes very simple and very quiet things as I began to uh, pray in the whole area of inner healing. You remember last week there were six different kind of areas of healing. And I have no doubt that when I pray for someone in that whole area, if someone's experienced pain, that when, then when we pray and we invite Holy, the Holy Spirit to come, he will come and he will bring about a greater depth of healing and wholeness in that person. And one of the reasons I have no doubt about that is because I have seen him do it many times before. Another reason I have no doubt that God will do that is because it's something I've personally experienced, which is what I shared a bit about last week. So I have no doubt about that. When it comes to praying for physical healing, that's a different kettle of fish for me, has been. 
And it's been something that over the last number of years, God's really uh, challenged me, confronted me with, encouraged me to have greater faith and less doubt to actually go for it. Um, when I went to, when Chantelle and I and the family, we moved to Coleraine and we were with the guys there. Um, this was a whole area of the church were well down the line on in terms of praying for physical healing. And uh, there was a guy on the staff there called Mark. Some of you will know who I'm talking about. And he just had just incredible faith for this, incredible faith for praying for people. And, um, and I remember when we first went there, he would tell all these stories about how God was healing. And part of me was thinking, oh, that's amazing. But part of me, as I alluded to last week, it's a bit like, oh, come off it. They weren't, they weren't, oh, wise up. They weren't even whatever. And one of the things that it insulted me, or it insulted my intelligence, I'll say that, was the whole area of praying for legs to grow. This leg growing business, I sort of sneakily called it behind my back. They, Mark would pray for someone. Lots of people would have back conditions or hip conditions or whatever, and, or it could be legs or knees or whatever. And he would often say, you know, have you got one leg longer than the other? And, uh, and uh, invariably, who would know? Many people do. And, uh, and he would do this wee thing. He'd have you sit in the chair, lift your legs up, and you'd see well, some people, my goodness, there's, there's quite a difference there. And they'd pray for healing and all the rest, and one leg would grow. And I'd be like, wise up. That's like some Darren Brown thing, or what, Derek Brown, or what, that dude on the TV. That's, that's just like mumbo jump. That's just a trick. And honestly, that was, I'm being a bit facetious in telling the story, but you get the point. I was, I was skeptical. I'll be honest. I, that's a good word. I was skeptical. And um, anyway, so I found myself a few months later on a trip with Mark, <laughs> like you do. And we had gone to Austria and we'd gone to a church and he was training a number of the guys there to, in the whole ministry of healing on the streets, going out onto the streets and praying for people for healing. And I was with him. Uh, and I, he was doing all the teaching, and then he did the leg growing thing. And I said, oh, I've got to see this. Like, I just got to see this. So, uh, it in the room, anyone got one leg? Oh, yep, I have dead on. So this lady, really brave in front of everyone, sat down, and right enough, you couldn't deny it. You just couldn't deny it. I had to see. And I remember in the building where it was, there was like a mezzanine area above us, and I thought, if I'm going to see this, I'm getting up to the mezzanine. I am getting a bird's eye view of this. And I go up the stairs, I'm looking down, and I see this. And then he didn't even pray, he just, because he'd been teaching about um, the difference between petitioning prayer and authoritative prayer. And, uh, and he said, who's got an authoritative prayer of healing for, th for this here? And someone said, leg grow. And he's like, yep, that'll do, just say it. Leg grow, Jesus' name. And I promise you this, in front of my eyes, I see physically this leg getting longer and coming to the right length as the other one. And as I'm saying this to you, many of you are believing, some of you are doubting as well. And I don't blame you because it insults our intelligence. It insults our worldview. It insults our reality, little r because that's not what we think. It's not what we know. And so I see this, it's like, oh my goodness. 
Months later, I'm leading a life group, um, a daytime life group up, uh, up in Coleraine. And I just began to tell the guys, I have a sore knee, I'm trying to run, but I can't run long distances because my knee swells really badly and I, I'm limping for days. It's really frustrating me. And uh, a lady in the church said, well, have you ever checked? You're like, oh, no, I've never, I'm, not, I'm not doing the leg thing. So, <laughs> in the kitchen, sit in a chair, right enough, flip, who'd have known? One leg longer, shorter than the other. And uh, the lady didn't even touch it, didn't even lay hands on it, just said, fight to come, speak to the leg, leg grow. Now, it's one thing seeing it in someone else. It's another thing when you see it happening to your own leg. And... And it was there, right in front of me. You could not argue with it. And ever since then, I've never had a problem with a knee from running or anything else. Never again. Some of the lights are switching on. Some of you are still, that's a bit weird. And that's okay. That's honestly is okay. It took me a while to come to the point where God is in the business of healing. The problem, actually, for some of us is not what we think we know. Uh, sorry, it's not what we don't know. It's what we think we know. It's not so much what we do not know, but what we think we know that obstructs our vision and eventually cripples us very briefly because time is upon us. There's a great example of this in John chapter 9, and I'd encourage you, if you're taking notes or you want to read up about this later, it's the story when Jesus uh, brings healing to uh, the, the man who was born blind. And um, it just says this, a few things. The disciples knew he was blind because of his sin or his parents' sin. But Jesus said it was neither, but it was for God's glory that should be revealed in his healing. The Pharisees knew that the healer could not be from God because he healed on the Sabbath and was therefore a sinner. You see what's happening here? It insults what they think they knew. This guy can't be from God. He's doing it on the Sabbath day. They would never do that. Because of this knowledge, they, that's the Pharisees, were not willing to believe that this man was blind in the first place and now he could see. Nor were they willing to believe Jesus was the Messiah. We know this man to be a sinner. They had made up their minds that Jesus was someone else and sadly, the Pharisees, the very people that should have known were the ones that didn't see at all. In contrast, the man who was blind who, could, uh, who Jesus healed uh, was very honest in his admission when asked. He said this, I do not know if this man is a sinner, but one thing I do know is I was blind, but now I see. Jesus then used this brilliant passage of physical blindness and speaks to the Pharisees about their spiritual blindness. They had missed it, and they had missed Jesus. Coming into land, the two-thirds world of Latin America, Africa, Middle East, and Asia are much 
more easily able to relate to what we're talking about this morning, God's reality. You visit a number of those nations, you visit the Pentecostal charismatic churches, and they're seeing, they're seeing God bring incredible healing and movement uh, in their churches, in their realms. Uh, and it's just commonplace, it's normal. And I want to read f- just a brief bit from this book, which I'm stealing most of the notes, all of the notes from. And um, so if you think it's any good, it's uh, called Doing Healing by Alexander Venter. And if you think it's rubbish, it's definitely his book. Um, The West is ripe for spiritual revolution because it is mystically, mythically, and morally bankrupt. The scientific and materialistic world has not met the deepest human needs. We are technologically overdeveloped, but spiritually and emotionally underdeveloped giving rise to indiscriminate spiritual hunger for alternative experience and power with a possible deception that may follow. There's a footnote in the bottom. For example, 300 million uh, Harry Potter books and 40 million Da Vinci Code books have been uh, read and bought by uh, lots of people, especially young people. There's this spiritual hunger and thirst which has not been um, satisfied by many people in the West From God's perspective, the West is ripe for the gospel of Jesus Christ that is demonstrated in acts of sacrificial love and raw power. Bishop David Pitches was my first ever boss, and then he retired. He he appointed me as youth worker, my first ever job. I've just finished university. Um, He, uh, for those of you who remember, Phil Shaw, who was our worship leader here, is Phil's grander. And uh, he, for a number of years, was in Chile as a, as a missionary, as a bishop in the Anglican Church in Chile. And he had experienced and seen God's capital R reality healing like as commonplace. It was just what he did. It was just normal practice. And he'd seen it and he'd experienced it. And he had a go at it and he was leading in it. And it was wonderful. Then he returned to England. And he returned to a sleepy village called Chorleywood. It's incredibly middle class and uh, lovely and suburban to London. And he was to be the vicar there of an Anglican church. And he so desired to see God move in the way that he had experienced and seen in Chile in a leafy suburb of a nice Church of England church and didn't know how to didn't know how to bring that, didn't know how to teach that, didn't know how to lead the people in that. And it was in around his, um, his meeting of John Wimber, who we refer to often, who sadly has passed, who founded the Vineyard Church. And in 1983, John and a team from California in their big kind of Hawaiian kind of flamboyant shirts arrived at St. Andrew's Chorleywood and turned the church upside down, literally as they invited the Holy Spirit to come and prayed for people, and God's kingdom came. And it began to really change and shape that one church. And that one church has had a massive, massive legacy with conferences that have grown and churches that have been planted. And it's a massive story of my life and Chantel's life. And it's those things that we learned and we grew in and we experienced for ourselves that we continue to model and learn here in the West. 
where people are hungry for more of him. So we want you to experience him in this way and we want to teach and train you to do it also. And time is upon us. Why don't we stand?